Hello and welcome to the show. If you're new here, my name is William Renner and this is Meditation Daily. Oh, okay, I understand that these emotions are playing out in a certain way and they're bringing things to me like by the law of attraction. On today's episode, I spoke with Janice Dadsey, a keynote speaker who helps people understand how to protect their bliss by any means necessary. And so they might go from fear to to worry or to doubt or to pessimism, and then we might work them up to contentment, and then we might work them up to hopefulness, and then we might work them up to positive expectations, and then we work them to joy. Janice shared her story of grief and loss, as well as the lessons about emotional intelligence that she has learned along the way. There is hope for humanity. We just have to be sure to be open to the connections uh, with individuals every every time we meet. I found this conversation to be so inspiring and filled with so many gems of wisdom. So if you are dealing with grief and loss especially, this conversation is for you. Janice, I'm so looking forward to speaking with you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, William. So um, you have a mission which is phrased in a very strong way, protect your bliss by any means necessary. So I'd love to dig into that. I I also want to talk later about healthcare professionals specifically, because I know you have a background there, and I'd love to speak about emotional intelligence with healthcare workers, but I'd love to start with this motto because it's such a strong motto. So why protect your bliss by any means necessary? Yeah, I have in the past maybe year or so, um, well, since COVID and everything like that, being locked in and everything, um, I've watched a lot of videos on just wellness in general and um, things that I've stumbled across, like one um, group, or should I say one person, um, Esther Hicks, who speaks as Abraham Hicks, um, is somebody that I've watched a lot of and I've taken a lot of information from and just absorbed a lot of the concepts that um, she speaks on. And a lot of what they talk about is when you are, um, well, the the experience of being human. We're here as uh, vessels of light and love and joy. And the things that we see in our reality tend to get us kind of blurred to what we're really here for, which is to experience love. We're physical expressions of love. And so as I've been putting things together with that and other people that I've followed, um, I'm learning that bliss and joy and love are the most important things that we have um, and the most important emotions that we have. And so in order to be able to experience life to the full and be able to um, just produce life and, and produce the best lives for ourselves, we have to protect that love and protect that joy and protect that bliss. And that's kind of where I'm at on a regular basis in a state of bliss. And so I say I protect that by any means necessary. So if there are relationships that make me fall out of alignment with that bliss, I'm, I'm watching myself there. Um, if there are um, just thoughts that I'm having personally to where it's like, oh my goodness, this makes me feel bad or I'm feeling guilt or any low vibrational emotions, um, I work immediately and strategically to raise my emotions back to joy and bliss. And so um, that's kind of the concept of protecting your bliss by any means necessary, whether it's, again, relationships that are keeping you out of bliss or your own thoughts that are keeping you out of bliss or just situations that keep you out of alignment with joy and bliss and love, which we're here, which is the reason why we're here. Um, protect, protect that, protect that and cover that and, and, and hold that sacred. That's awesome. I've I've also looked at Abraham's work, and I really love 
what they do and the messages that they bring. And I think that what you're saying uh, is really important. Like we have to be able to understand how to protect our own energy it's before we can help other people. I think a lot of people kind of go out trying to help other people before they even take care of themselves. So that's so important to get a handle on, like how can we protect our own energies? We hear that cliche saying on the plane, like mask first, you got to mask first before you can help other people, which, you know, it, it sometimes you hear certain cliches and you kind of filter me in like, okay, this is, this is good. This is not, but that's one that's really important. And same thing with this concept that I talk about protecting your bliss. Um, it's you masking up first so you can help others, so you, so you can be a help to others. And so um, that's a really important point that you brought out. You know, it's like, yeah, make sure that you're good to where you have a full cup to help other people. So I'd love now to speak about your own journey to discovering emotional intelligence and how you came to, you know, harness that awareness. Yeah, um, my journey that I speak about um, in my, my speeches started when my mother um, passed away in 2005. Um, she had a brain aneurysm based on years of stress and poor diet management and things of that nature. Um, and I remember at times when I was a teenager, um, we would go and we she'd have a problem or something would happen. We go to a hospital, they take her blood pressure and it'd be like 200 over a hundred something, just something ridiculous. And so they admit her to the hospital and for years it'd be like, mom, you know, why don't you take better care of yourself? You know, that, that, that element of, of, uh, well, the issue that you're having, the hypertension, why don't you take care of that? And she, she did in, in like bouts or whatnot, but um, it ended up costing her her life. And I was 19 at the time when I lost her, which for me, it was so, yeah, I mean, the way that she passed, she was in her house for about a few days, heater was on, her body was like decomposing. And so for me at 19, taking all of that in and the fact that I didn't have her anymore, it sent me into a free fall. Um, emotionally, um, physically, everything, it just sent me into a free fall to where I was looking for love in all the wrong places, as they say. Um, was trying to go to different family members' houses to to stay and try to recoup and find the love that my mother had given me all those years. Um, wasn't able to find it, and so I ended up burning so many bridges to the point where I was end up I ended up homeless. And so for a while, um, being in that situation and being in such deep depression and feeling despair and hopelessness. Um, there would always be like a little voice in the back of my head and it would be her telling me like, I expect more of you than this, you know? And so it would kind of push me along the way to finding solutions, finding hope, finding some type of um, just anything that I can hold on to, to get me to the next step. And a lot of times over the years where um, maybe again, where a relationship will break down, I would kind of go within and kind of say, where have I been going wrong? And just certain things will pop up into my head and be like, okay, I was trauma bonding. That's why this happened. And why was I trauma bonding? Oh, because of grief. And why did this happen? And I was just making all of these connections emotionally and being able to connect them to the situations that I went, uh, that I was in that weren't serving me. And so over time, um, and then too, like I said, with the pandemic and everything, it just kind of gelled everything together. And it's like, 
oh, okay, I understand that these emotions are playing out in a certain way and they're bringing things to me. Like by the law of attraction, because I'm in a state of grief, I'm bringing more grief to me or I'm in a state of hopelessness or doubt. I'm bringing more situations to me that are like that. And so when I started flipping that and I started feeling good emotions on purpose, I noticed more of those things started to to play in my life. And so over the over these these many years and just like I said, just recently just gelling everything together, I realized I can design the life that I want to by choosing the elevated emotions and I can bring more of those elevated feelings to me by being in that state. That's such a um such a powerful transformation to go from a place with so much um, difficulty to one of so much um, optimism and awareness of, of how to how to transform your life and how to take the reins and move things in a positive direction. Do you have any um, advice for people who are suffering with with a loss who might um, who might need need some awareness of how to bring up those higher emotions? Yeah, I mean, when you say that, so many things have come to mind. Um, one of the biggest things um, that I thought about was um, Whitney Houston's daughter, Bobby Christina. Um, she was one of the major inspirations for me to speak out about um, just having this level of emotional awareness with loss and grief and things of that nature because she was 19 when she lost her mother and Whitney Houston was around the same age as my mother when she died as well. So um, I always would wish that I had some type of connection, you know, to her to be able to talk to her um, before her untimely death, um, uh, Bobby Christina's. And so um, that's been one of the biggest inspirations for me to move in this direction, to be able to share with people. Because I'm I'm naturally an introvert. I was homeschooled for a number of years, and I was an only child. I was brought up as an only child. So this isn't natural to me, being able to speak out like this. And so, um, but that's kind of pushed me outside of my shell, just being able to think, there's a lot of people who are hurting, whether it's with a loss or just any other reason they're, they're grieving. Um, and they need somebody who's been through it to be able to say, like, look, you, you can do it. And one of the things that I think of um, when it comes to just kind of breaking down these thoughts, because sometimes it's hard to go from deep depression to joy. You know, you can't really just flip that switch. So getting people to, one, express where they are and listening in to see where they are and just kind of probing and prodding um, based on their personal experience and then working their way up the scale. Uh Hello friend, just a quick little interruption to let you know about Worldlings. Worldlings is our side project where we teach young children how to meditate. Kids as young as four years old can learn how to be mindful of their breath and it is such a helpful thing for them to learn at a young age. So if you have kids or you have friends with kids, Please check out the link in the description. Abraham Hicks, if you're you're familiar with, with the emotional scale that she has, um, it lists 22 different emotions, and some of them are kind of grouped or whatnot. But as I talk to people and I understand where they're coming from, again, just that emotional awareness on my own and that intelligence on my own, I'm able to kind of pick up cues, whether they're mm -hmm. in grief or whether they're in worry or in fear, um, doubt, depression. And then I, 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 again, just kind of draw certain things out. And then I'll ask questions maybe that are a little bit higher up on the scale. Because you can't, again, you can't work from uh, crappy to happy. So and we're going to work our way in between to where okay. you can get to that happy place just by expressing 
where you're at and then giving you another perspective too along the way. Because sometimes giving people a perspective helps them to say, hmm, you know, things aren't always that bad. And so they might go from fear to, to worry or to doubt or to pessimism. And then we might work them up to contentment. And then we might work them up to hopefulness. And then we might work them up to positive expectations. And then we work them to joy. You know, so again, just kind of working your way up and experiencing all those emotions along the way. Um, don't shun them, don't hide them, you know, don't sweep them under a rug because they're valuable. Um, if for nothing else to say, I don't want to experience this again. And if anything else leads me to this, anything is similar that leads me to this, I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to protect my bliss. So um, just again, just kind of drawing things out and working people up. Um, the emotional scale is uh, kind of how I approach um, helping people realize their intelligence emotionally. That's really cool. That that makes a lot of sense to me too. And and the understanding that we need to face the situation that we're in too. You know, like if we're feeling um, depressed or or sadness or grief or whatever, we can't just bury it and repress it. But like facing it, but then shifting it to maybe the next higher level makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I understand that you also have a background in in the medical field. So like maybe we can speak a little bit of how you moved into that field and how this emotional intelligence works with you in that area. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I've i been wanting to be a physician ever since I was about eight years old. Um, there was a little story behind that. I was at school on a playground one day helping a friend and um, well, she was saying like, oh, my neck is hurting this and that. And so I went over there and was like touching her neck and I was like, okay, how do you feel now? You know, just role playing pretty much. Oh. Um, but she was like, oh, I feel so much ble- so much better, you know, playing along with me. Um, but then from there, like, I, was, I had discussions with my mother, and um, she was like, yeah, you know, if you want to be a physician, you can do that on a regular, you can do that long term, this and that. And so um, from there, I've had a, a love for healing and uh, medicine and things of that nature. Um, but again, just kind of with the experience with my mother happening at 19, it's kind of made this path, this journey into medicine a lot longer than what it needed to be. Um, but I have done uh, various fields in the clinical setting. Um, one specifically is uh, I've done a medical assistant role um, in a few clinics. And um, some of the areas that I've worked in are like um, women's health. I worked in like an um, orthopedic office as well. And just having those experiences with patients on a regular basis, on a regular basis, even just with doing things like taking their vitals and um, doing like triage and stuff like that. Um, I'm able to have those connections with people and kind of see where they are and then also find the rewarding experience myself and that connection. Um, sometimes, I, I mean, I've had really good conversations with certain individuals and some of them have come in, especially like within the women's setting and they're coming in, they're talking about maybe women's issues. Um, and then things kind of open up to other things, maybe personal things. Um, but again, just being able to have that connection with people on a regular basis, it, it makes me feel good. And I know that when, um, some of the patients have walked out of the office, they've either complimented me to a manager or their physician, um, just on how um, how present I was, and that's usually my goal. And like even certain clinics that I worked in, which were more busy than others, 
um, were pretty hectic. And I, I some days I'd go in early just to be able to calmly start the day. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd stay there later just to be able to make sure everything is completed, just for my own sense of sanity. Um, but having, like I said, those interactions have been really rewarding. And I think that um, it's not as is not as highlighted, is not as focused as it should be. Same thing with like even the school system, you know, emotional intelligence is not necessarily something that's focused upon. Um, but I, like I said, for me personally, I have seen the difference when it comes to um, being in an elevated state when you bring in someone, because again, you can help them work their way up the scale yeah. and then be present in helping people to realize like there is hope for humanity. We just have to be sure to be open to the connections uh, with individuals every, every time we meet. Right. And I guess within a healthcare setting, it's like the more, um, the more, the, the lower that a patient is on the emotional intelligence scale at that particular moment, probably the less they'll be willing to give truthful information about their health, for example. And like, you know, it might just make the, the situation a lot more complicated and more stressful for whoever's in that environment. So I, I know there's a lot of stress and pressure in those environments. So having more emotional intelligence seems like a really useful skill. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes people are just scared. You know, it's like um, the same thing with my mother. Like I said, when she would go into a, a, an office, a doctor's office, and it'd be one issue she'd have. But I think there would probably be other issues. She never um, expressed them to me. But it's like there's a lot of damage that comes along with having high stress. And um, sometimes, you know, and we can just talk about that on its own. But like I said, when people come in a certain um, settings like the clinical setting, they call it uh, white coat syndrome kind of kicks in. You know, it's like, I don't know if I should be saying this. I don't know. But again, that doubt and worry. Like, how can we how can we pull that out? How can we drag it? What, what are you worried about? Are you worried that I'm going to tell you something that you don't want to hear? You know, I've heard people kind of jokingly say like, oh, well, every time I go to the doctor, they tell me something's wrong. Well, had you been going to the doctor on a regular, they may have not told you that. You know, right. you could have could have possibly avoided that. So, um, again, just having that those those emotional um prompts kind of addressed and having them drawn out a little bit more, I think will help people just long-term. And I know every setting is different, like clinical setting and hospital settings are different. Sometimes there's a lot of pressure um, on physicians to, you know, meet a certain number or have a certain number of patients in every day. And so I've experienced that too, where it's just like, we're just running around crazy, just trying to survive. And it's harder to uh, maintain that level emotionally where you're just like, just trying to get through the day, you know? Hello friend, just a quick little interruption to let you know that if you're watching this as a YouTube video, we also have audio podcasts for your commute to work. And if you're listening to this as an audio podcast, please take a minute to give us a five-star review so that we can get this podcast out to new audiences. And so I want to move from here to the your idea of being an emotional conqueror. So what does it mean to be an emotional conqueror? Is this like, is this like an absolute state? Do you still go through lows or how, like, what do you mean by an emotional conqueror? Yes. How I define it is someone who is able to assess, strategize, and execute the levels of elevated emotions to achieve elevated results. 
Um, and so how I see it is that, again, there is the spectrum of emotions. And even for me, I fall into doubt and worry and sometimes even fear, um, but it's all information. And I don't take it to be like, oh, man, I'm not a conqueror today or I'm not a conqueror in this moment. It's like, oh, this is information. Now how do I go about getting back to what I consider my norm, which I try to stay in at least contentment or above? Mm-hmm. So um, for me, it's like, okay, this is information. What what brought this information on? Just that awareness, you know what I mean? So um, I don't stay stuck in those moments. I might have a bout of, of anger for maybe about five minutes, but usually that's it. You know, I give myself a little grace and then I'm like, okay, what is this? How can I fix this? Is it a me problem? Do I need to fix me? Is it a them problem? Is there something that I need to share with them? Is it something that I need to learn from them? You know, so again, just being able to assess, constantly assess when you're out of alignment with those elevated emotions to get Mm -hmm. back to the elevated state. That's a conqueror. And when you're so like, let's take that example of anger, for example, if you're in an angry state, how do you get to the strategize step? Is that mostly like a questioning of um, of like first you assess the problem and where it's coming from and then you strategize? Are there like specific steps that you would take to like um, moving up in that emotional range? Yeah, and it's it varies because um, let's say if I'm in traffic and somebody cuts me off, I know exactly why I'm mad, you know, right. so I don't necessarily have to ask the question. Um, maybe I'll go straight to, uh, to uh, strategizing. It's like, okay, maybe I'll just slow down. Maybe I'll get out of this lane, take some deep breaths. I do box breathing um, and just kind of get back into a state of everything's all right. I'm content with life. This person is obviously either late for something or they're in a mood. And I, I, I do that too, where I'm like, for somebody to do that, what state are they in? And right. then I show compassion. I'm like, right. they're probably angry about something else. It has nothing to do with me. So I give them that compassion and I'm able to get back to the elevated state. Or sometimes if it just kind of washes over me in a random moment, that's kind of when I'll say like, well, what is this? Where did this come from? You know what I mean? It's like, did somebody say something to me today? Um, You know, did I say something today? Um, And just kind of unpack it for what it is and find out what it is. And then again, get back to my natural state. That's so cool. I think that compassion is such an important and often underlooked key to happiness you know like we we tend to think about what can i do for myself in order to be happy but but helping other people and even just feeling compassionate towards them can have such a positive effect on our own well-being Mm -hmm. definitely definitely and if i may um my my father uh my late father who um I I have a love and respect for because of compassion. Um, He was murdered in 2014 um, by his, at the time, wife, who was supposed to come and sign divorce papers that day, but she had something else in mind. Um, But from there, um, the relationship that we had before was basically estranged. It was mostly estranged. Um, I didn't meet my dad for the first time until I was about 12. Um, And even after then, he was in his ways where he didn't want to discuss with me how much pain he had caused by not being there. Um, I experienced sexual abuse from a stranger um, and also from a family member, and I felt it was because he wasn't there to protect me. 
the stress of my mother, all those years that ended up um, being the reason for her, her death, I blamed on him and so many other things that I felt like he was supposed to protect and provide for me. And there was all that anger and bitterness uh, for many years. Um, but then I learned about his story. Uh, my dad was born in Ghana. And um, when he was about 10 years old, I've been told the story where um, his family, they had no love for him whatsoever. In fact, they wanted him killed um, until there was one um, incident where um, my dad was given a plate of food, and I, I don't know exactly what all he was looking at, but he was, suspicious, he was suspicious of the plate of food. And so what he ended up doing was sneaking it off to a neighborhood dog, and the dog died. Oh and God. so from there, he ended up moving to Liberia to be with his grandmother, my great-grandmother. And um, then just the fact that he came over to the U.S. Um, when he was I think he was like in his early 20s, but he hadn't dealt with all of that pain. He hadn't dealt with that sense of unworthiness all those years. And so my um, older brother and myself and my younger brother, were my half-brothers, um, we came about. But again, all of our relationships were really just dysfunctional. So um, like I said, over time, all of that bitterness and anger had risen in me. But once I heard that story, and this was after his death, I felt that sense of compassion and empathy wash over me because I didn't, I, I couldn't imagine what it must have been like at 10 years old, 11 years old, not somebody wanting to take my life in a family member at that. I had no idea what it was like. And so for the breakdown of our relationship, I, I was like, you know what? He didn't know. He he wanted to prove himself worthy in our relationship. It just came in the wake of that, but um, he he just wanted to feel worthy, and so he didn't know how to handle. He hadn't dealt with that pain, and so again, I found forgiveness after his death through empathy and compassion. I think it's it's never too late for compassion. I know sometimes some things that we suffer from with people can be so deep that it it's it's not easy and perhaps not even possible sometimes in the moment with them but but there is always time you know as long as you're alive there's an opportunity to find compassion for people absolutely and i didn't even i never even received an apology from him you know so it's like i had to do the work on my own to find that um i want to talk about embodiment and like the the importance of the body cuz that's a really important part of emotional intelligence is having an understanding of how the emotions are connected to the body. Maybe we can speak a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, and again, lots of things are coming to my mind. Um, one thing in particular, I recently, well, the summer of last year, I attended a seminar for the Silva Meditation Method. And um, in that, we studied like brain waves and like altered states of consciousness and stuff like that. And one level that, well, there's many levels that we discussed, but one of the biggest ones that we discussed was the beta, the beta level of um, wavelengths in the brain. And that's usually our busy brain and we're like action oriented and we're going to get this done and we're going to do this. And that's kind of where the lower vibrations of emotions kind of kick in on a regular basis. Um, and then we have like the alpha, which is more of the relaxed, more of the meditative state. Um, and then we have what's deeper than that is the theta, um, which is kind of what they use during hypnosis to kind of have people to do things because they're in a more suggestible state. Um, and then like delta, um, which is basically sleep. That's the sleep brain and, you know, all the the stored memories, the REM sleep and all that stuff, that good stuff happens. Um, 
But when we work to get to like an alpha or theta state, um, our body responds. You know, there's feel-good hormones. Um, there are not feel-good hormones that are there. And uh, how I think about it is like some of the ones that do um, help us and are like the feel-good hormones, they're like little soldiers going through our bloodstream and doing re re repair to our, our systems and our body and just rejuvenating us. So when we are working to stay in that state emotionally, we have our, our body is responding by producing more of those chemicals that are doing repair to us. And again, just opening us up for so much, not only just physical healing, but the emotional, spiritual healing as well. Um, but again, like you said, that embodiment, when we embody this idea of emotional intelligence and staying at an elevated emotion, we're in line with our creator. So it's like it, it's like a default for us to be able to create. And again, creating a healthy body, creating a healthy mental state of being um, is all part, part and parcel to um, having this elevated emotional state. Oh, I see you have a friend there. <laughs> Yes, my cat likes to join in on our interviews sometimes. Um, yeah, welcome right on up. Janice, it's been so wonderful speaking with you. Um, thank you so much for this conversation. If people want to uh, get a hold of you and find out about your speaking, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, they can find me. My website is JaniceSpeaks.com. Um, that's one of the ways. Um, I'm also on social media. Um, Facebook is Janice Marie. And then um, my Instagram is Janice underscore 85. So um, if you find me there, any one of those ways, if you send me a message or um, an email or whatnot, my email's in my, um, it's in my website. So if you send me a message anyway, I'll, I'll respond, I'll find you. That's I'm usually wonderful. pretty good at responding to people within a day. And before, and before we go, do you have any like final thoughts uh, for people who are, um, perhaps in a, in a going through something difficult and, and how, how they can shift more awareness towards their emotional intelligence? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things for me that works pretty quickly, like if I'm in an angry state, um, is box breathing. Just taking a, a few breaths in and, and holding it letting it out and just doing that a few times for for like a minute or so um, those are one of the things that that's one of the things thing that I use when I am kind of like in an angry state and I just can't seem to shake it um, some of the other things that I do is just watching my language um, there's a state statement that says uh, fake it till you make it um, and I've talked about this a few times with people where it's like you know what do we think of when we think of faking it we think of oh I'm gonna be confident I'm gonna be brave I'm gonna be bold those are the fake things but our creator has has created us to be empowered and free and joyful so if that's who we're created to be then the anxiety the depression and the stress is the fake you know, the joy and the upliftment are the real. That's who we truly are. So just keeping those things in mind, you know, again, the box breathing and remembering who you truly are um, are two things that I say kind of a quick fix, helping people to kind of say, oh, OK, yeah, at least give them some perspective to where they're not stuck there. They don't feel like they have to be stuck there. Wonderful. Thank you, Janice. Yeah, thank you.
Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Janice Dadsey. As you can probably tell, I found this conversation to be very moving. Um, it was a powerful story with a lot of very powerful lessons. So if you like conversations like this, if you find them helpful, be sure to subscribe to the channel because we have new content every single Thursday. Until next time, wishing you peace and happiness and some type of meditation in your daily life.